0: Thank you, Claire. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to come and to gather around the truth that we have sung about, the truth of the gospel, uh, of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and the pending return that we all long for. So as we hear this word spoken, our prayer is that you would shape us you would give us perspective and you would speak to us from your word would you take just a moment right where you're seated to ask the lord to speak to you from his word today lord you know what each one of us is going through you know where we are and the promises of god are true And are for us. May we hear that today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is uh, great to be together. As Hayden said, it's great to worship the Lord and to find ourselves in the story of the gospel as we continue uh, to worship uh, him each week. And it's great to see you. And if you are visiting, as Hayden said, we'd love to to know you're here, connect with you, and and help you get connected to the life of the church. This is a a great season and and a time to kind of get connected as uh, we go into sort of January and February. Uh, At the first service, uh, one of our missionaries, uh, Melanie Wilson, was here from Costa Rica. It was great to to see her with our partnership there, and I want to let you know um, that if that's something that you would want to do, be um, want to go on a summer mission trip to Costa Rica, we have an info uh, meeting coming up February 12th. So just kind of keep that on your radar uh, as we will be looking to to prepare for that next um, trip to Costa Rica as we do each year. and It was great to have her here with us and continue that global partnership that we have uh, in Costa Rica. Uh, when one of my kids was uh, in like first grade or something like that, I was going to be the mystery reader. And the mystery reader is like, I show up, they don't know I'm coming, but I'm going to come and read a book. And so I thought, I need a book. I got to figure this out. So I was like, hey, Dr. Seuss, you know, at my house, oh, the places you'll go. So I grabbed it. And I thought, this that's Dr. Seuss. I didn't read it before I went. Um, and realized about kind of as soon as I got there, the teacher was like, oh, you're going to read that? I was like, yeah, it's Dr. Seuss, right? But have you read that in a while? It's a little dark for first graders. Uh, this is how it starts. You will come to a place where the streets are not marked. Some windows are lighted, but they're mostly dark. A place you could sprain both your elbow and chin. Do you dare to stay out? Do you dare to go in? How much can you lose? How much can you win? And if you go in, should you turn left or right, or right in three quarters, or maybe not quite, or go around back and sneak in from behind? Simple, it's not. I'm afraid you will find, for a mind-maker, upper to make up his mind. You can get so confused that you'll start in the race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish, wild space. I tried to like look at her with my eyes and just be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> You know, this is like first graders are like feeling anxious about their life here. Headed, I fear, towards a most useless place, he says, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for the wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for a Friday night, or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. No, that's not for you, he says. Now, as dark as that is for six-year-olds, it's true to our experience, isn't it? We all know this. Dr. Seuss says waiting is a useless place, and we couldn't agree more, Right? I mean, I think of the time I went to the DMV and waited two hours only to get to the front and realized I had the wrong paperwork, which means I got to come back again and wait. Waiting, in our minds, we're too busy for waiting. Waiting is a useless place. But today what we're going to see as we continue in Romans 8 is that with the gospel lens, with gospel instincts, with a perspective on what God has done and what he will do, waiting is not useless. In fact even though we may not think about it like this, waiting is the enduring experience of the Christian. Because we are waiting. As we continue to look at Romans 8, one of the greatest chapters on the promises of God and the focus on the Holy Spirit, Paul speaks to this reality of waiting, of suffering, of hoping. In the reading that Claire read, And I love that the Bible is not disconnected from reality. It's suffering is real. No one is exempt from it. Uh, We do not believe in Christian exceptionalism. It's not a prosperity gospel. And even though we know that, there is something about us that when suffering comes, it feels like it should be a blip on the screen or it should be the exception to the rule. Life should be good and happy and going. And then, oh, there's a little bump in the road, a little suffering. And if we're honest... Sometimes, when we walk through suffering, we actually wonder if the promises of God are contradictory. That maybe those promises really aren't true because it doesn't feel like my experience of suffering. And in one of the greatest chapters in the Bible on the promises of God, Paul talks about suffering, waiting, and pain. The suffering is part of the Christian experience, and the gospel has something to say about it. The scriptures do not avoid the subject of suffering, but rather they speak about a perspective that we have in it. And so what is our response to suffering and waiting? There's this word that is repeated multiple times in that reading that Claire read, and it's the word groan. We groan. Groaning has this idea of, of sighing, of crying out, of, of a low moaning sound and breathing. Ugh. Lament. There's groaning. What a great word to describe this. Because to be honest, there's a lot to groan over. There's a lot to groan over in our own lives. As we are walking through a, a tragedy of some of our best friends, we groan. There's a lot to groan about in our church's life. We get the prayer requests every week. And we pray over them. And yet as we read those prayer requests every week, oftentimes we groan. Because this is not how it's supposed to be. There's a lot to groan about in our city, our country, and our world. There's pain. There's brokenheartedness. There's sickness. There's death. There's broken relationships. There's misunderstandings. There's divide. And all of it elicits a response. And the response is an honest response of groaning. There's that moment, if you remember this in that old movie, Forrest Gump, where Jenny and Forrest are walking around in their hometown and she comes upon this dilapidated house where she grew up. We already know because of kind of the story that there was all kinds of abuse there and she'd experienced everything. And all of a sudden she just starts bawling and she picks up and she starts hurling rocks at the dilapidated house just over and over and over again until she finally falls down in tears, just weeping. And Forrest as the narrator. He says, I guess sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. Pain, unmet expectations, suffering, trial, brokenness. It is real and it elicits a response. And that response is to groan. Say, this is not how it's supposed to be. But notice who's groaning in this chapter. I want to look at a couple of things here. Um, First, look at this verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That's what Paul says. All of creation is groaning. The earth is groaning. What a strange thing to say. Now, if we understand ourselves in the context of the big story, of God's big story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, then where we start is that in creation, the earth was good. It was perfect. We can hardly remember an earth. We don't know an earth like this. An earth with no natural disasters, an earth with, with no sickness, no pain, no death, an earth with no thorn and thistles, because in the story, creation, what comes after creation is the fall. That Adam and Eve, as they sin, as they choose themselves to be God over God, sin enters into the world and it affects everything. In fact, one simple way to put it is there's four breaks that happen because of sin. One, there's the break between God and us. We've talked a lot about that in the book of Romans over the fall. That we are separated from God. That we needed something to happen for righteous God to be able to be in a relationship with unrighteous humanity. And Jesus has done that for us. There's also a break between us and mankind, us and one another. We know that oh too well by our own relationships, but also in our, in our world that we live, the divide that we live in, and this weekend that we celebrate Martin Luther King's Jr. Day, we remember that there is brokenness and reconciliation needed. There's brokenness between us and one another. Thirdly, there's a break between us and ourselves. For the first time ever, there's shame in the world when Adam and Eve eat the apple. There's brokenness within us. But the last one that we don't really talk very much about is the brokenness in the earth. That there's now thorns and thistles. That the earth itself is broken. There's natural disasters. There's hurricanes. There's tsunamis. I don't know if this was new to y'all, but just recently, this thing called a bomb cyclone, it's like a snowstorm. That sounds awful. I'm glad I live in Texas. Hopefully there's no bomb cyclones down here. The world is broken. And with that comes sickness, pain and childbirth, Death and tragedy. But that's not the end of the story. Creation is good. The fall has made things not the way they were supposed to be. It's not how it's supposed to be, but redemption has come. That Jesus, as we have talked about multiple times over this season in Romans, has come to. Forgive us, justify us, declare us righteous, call us adopted children of God. He has done all of this to redeem us, to buy us back to himself. So creation, fall, redemption. But ultimately, in this grand narrative, is the restoration of all things. And we, like the earth, wait for the restoration of all things. The earth itself, this is mind-blowing, groans the earth is longing for the redemption of the sons of God. It's, it's longing to be set free from its bondage to corruption. And so one day God will create a new heavens and a new earth. We'll no longer have all of those things that we just talked about. But today we live in a broken world. And as the earth groans, we groan. Look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We groan, just like the earth groans as it waits, we groan as we wait. And some of you are in a situation right now, I, I know of some and I don't know of others, of suffering or waiting. Maybe it's waiting for a really hard situation to come to fruition or to work out. Or it's waiting to be reconciled to a family member or a friend. Maybe it's waiting to be healed from some silent addiction. Maybe it's waiting for the, the next thing or the, the job or or the something in the future. Some of us may be groaning, wonder wondering our, if we will ever get married. If we'll ever have kids. I remember we um, struggled for years to get pregnant. And we groaned in that process. Walking through baby showers of friends and announcements of friends over and over, we groaned. Brittany Spears got pregnant twice while we were trying to get pregnant. <laughs> we just groaned, right? Waiting for many of us, is a silent kind of pain. Might be the kind of pain that we can't explain or we feel bad for even bringing it up. Waiting is painful. And I think that's why Paul uses this word, groaning, lamenting. That's what Paul is getting here. Comparing our groaning to the waiting of that of creation, ultimately what Paul is saying is that suffering and waiting that we experience now is a reminder that we ultimately await ultimate restoration, the redemption of our bodies. When we wait and suffer in the here and now, it's a reminder. It's meant to be a reminder that we groan for something more. And that even if we get pregnant or we get that thing we're waiting for, or that relationship works out, or that situation comes to bear, even if we get those things we've been waiting for, we still wait. Because our enduring experience this side of heaven is one of waiting. And in a culture of instant everything, we have a tendency to forget that. That there's something God wants to show us in the waiting, in the suffering. And though none of us enjoy it, none of us would choose it, we might feel like waiting is a useless place. It's not in God's economy. God chooses to use waiting to remind us what we truly wait for. Now we have, as Paul says, the first fruits of the Spirit. We live in a a broken world with broken bodies, but we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us as we saw last week as we looked at those glorious promises from Romans 8 about the indwelling third member of the Trinity Holy Spirit in us. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in us. That we have this promise the first fruits of the spirit and what does that mean the first fruits it means that that promise as it sells, uh, says it says elsewhere is the holy spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come that it is this reminder that yes we are redeemed that's where we find ourselves in the story creation fall redeemed but we await it's the first fruits we await the restoration of all things but there's this promise in this reading that we read that I think is especially poignant in the midst of suffering about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, all the promises that we saw last week in the Holy Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I find this incredibly both mind-blowing and comforting. That while we groan, while we suffer, while we wait... The Holy Spirit that is in us is praying with, word, with groanings, too deep for words, but he's praying according to the will of God. We don't always know what to pray. We've experienced this in our own lives, in our own issues. We've experienced this with people that we're with. When, when the trial is so great, we really don't know what to say. They say, will you pray? And I say, yes, I will, but I don't know what to say. And we don't have to come up with some eloquent prayer or some way to figure it out, that the Holy Spirit is praying for us while we suffer. This is a promise that, again, I don't think we really think through and recognize the goodness of this gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is praying according to the will of God, he says. And the, the understanding in prayer is that as we pray and we align with the will of God, we know that God answers those prayers. But the Spirit of God knows the will of God. We don't know what to pray. Oftentimes we don't know. Are, are, we, are we praying for healing? Are we praying for endurance? Are we saying we're supposed to go? Are we supposed to stay? Are we supposed to wait? Are we supposed to act? Act. We don't know what to pray. And that's okay. We still seek the Lord. We still pray. But the Holy Spirit is praying for us with words too, with groanings too deep for words. And not only is the Holy Spirit praying for us, but the Holy Spirit is also giving us this perspective, the first fruits. He's giving us this perspective that we wait for the ultimate restoration of this earth, of our bodies, and to be able to live in a place where there's no more tears, no more sickness, no more relational strife, no more death, As Paul said in verse 18, how we started. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. The glory that will be revealed when Jesus returns and we are with him forever in the new heavens and new earth will be so overwhelming and so true and so good that the sufferings and the pain of today will pale in comparison. Do we really believe that? It's hard to believe that in the midst of suffering. It's hard to believe that in the midst of waiting. Partly because when we're suffering and when we're waiting, our tendency is to have this tunnel vision, to only be looking at what's right in front of us, the the pain, the tragedy, the injustice, whatever it is that's right in front of us, it's so hard not to see beyond that. But we have, as Paul is saying here, to have a heavenly vision. A vision that goes beyond what is right in front of us. So because our natural perspective is to only look at our circumstances, but this perspective, a gospel perspective, and understanding where we are in the story, reminds us that restoration is coming. Now I appreciate that Paul doesn't rebuke us for groaning. Some of us, we grew up in Homes or around churches or around families where people are like, oh, don't don't look sad, don't be upset about what's happening in the world or what's happening in you. You know, just get over it and suck it up. That's kind of the the, the word of the thing. But Paul says we groan. The response of a Christian is to be honest about the way things are. This is not how it's supposed to be. We groan. But others of us, we we stop here. We just groan, we grumble, and we just, oh, it's so bad. We just groan and groan. But we miss. The hope that we need to see. That's the purpose of the groaning, to point us to the hope. And so not only do we groan, but we groan with hope. Elsewhere, the scriptures say that uh, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. He says here, verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For he who hopes for what he sees, for who, sorry, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, what is true hope? We've said this before, but this idea, hope, the the English word kind of loses something for us the way we use it, because we use it almost as like kind of a glorified maybe, you know, it's like, well, it's possible, but maybe not practically. We hope it happens. I I hope Baylor wins the NCAA tournament. They've done it before. It's not outside the realm of possibility, but it's probably not going to happen, but I hope it happens. Nobody else. Okay. That's the way we use the word hope, right? We hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. We think, this is kind of the way we think about hope. But biblical hope is for something we can't see, we don't fully comprehend, but we are assured of it. We are confident that it will happen because our hope is not in some circumstance or some condition, but our hope is in a God who keeps his promises. And so hope, it causes us to be preoccupied with an event that you know is happening. And it changes your priorities in the current day as well for reading about, you know, just all all the people who waited for um, their husbands to come back from the Korean war. And in our day, we know exactly, we can track the flight. We know exactly when they're going to arrive back from, from war. But in that day, they didn't know that. And so every single day these people would get up and go, maybe today's the day I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to get it all ready. I'm going to get fully dressed and I'm going to just wait There's an expectancy in that waiting, but there's also a reality that it changes their priorities because they're getting up, they're getting it all ready, and they're prepared for their husband to come home. There's something about waiting, there's something about hoping that is meant to change our perspective now. It changes the way we wait for things. It changes our priorities. We don't just simply live for what we want or what we can get because we have this heavenly vision. We don't just clamor after identity and acclaim from work or relationships, all the things that we typically do. But no, we have this perspective that this is not our home. This is not all there is. There's hope of a secure future. So suffering, waiting, groaning is extremely painful. But it's temporary. And then none of us wants to wait or suffer the gospel gives a perspective. It reminds us that we have the assurance of things hoped for, and we wait for a day in new heavens, new earth, new bodies. There's no more tears. There's no more strife. There's no more sin. There's no more sickness. There's no more deaths. That's the perspective we need when it comes to waiting and suffering. And I think that's what God wants to do. In our waiting and in our suffering is to allow us to groan, but to see where we are in the story and point us forward. He says in verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Uh, I think there's a reason that, reason that patience is a fruit of the spirit because patience is really hard. When we think about patience, we often think about patience about small things, or maybe patience with a colleague, or or patience in line at the DMV, or patience with our spouse. These are good things, but what he's saying here is this sort of capital P patience. This ultimate patience of waiting for the restoration of all things. And I wonder for us, in some ways, there's this subtle thing that when we are waiting for anything, whether it's traffic or some situation to work out, when we are waiting, maybe just below our breath, we just say, Lord, I'm I'm sick of waiting for this thing. I groan. But Lord, let this waiting remind me of the fact that you have redeemed me, but I still am waiting for the final restoration of being home with you. I groan with hope. That even in the little waiting, we have this perspective of where we are in the story. Some of us... um, probably need to allow ourselves to grieve and groan and say this is not how it's supposed to be others of us we may stop just there and be like oh I can can groan I can grumble I can grieve we've got to groan with hope it's overwhelming um, at times to Think about the suffering that's happening even just in these doors, in this room. And the pain and the challenges and the waiting. Some of it we know about. Some of it is silent. I want to encourage us that this perspective that the gospel gives us on suffering is to groan in hope. And that the best thing we can say about suffering is that our Lord and Savior suffered on our behalf, willingly entered into suffering on the cross, groaning in agony, dying for you and me. And then there was three days to wait. Those disciples had no idea what was going to happen. But on that third day, as we sang, Jesus rose from the dead, that his suffering was not the end of the story, that his resurrection gives us the perspective that not only will we experience suffering, but one day, just like Jesus rose from the dead, that he will return and he will make all things new and he will resurrect us. His life, his death and his resurrection is the grid by which we see all of life, but especially suffering. Grieving, waiting, and pain. That's where we are in the story. We're redeemed, but still things are not the way they're supposed to be. But we hope and long for ultimate restoration, where we'll be with him forever. We groan with hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the word gives us perspective on suffering because it is our reality. Today as we ground ourselves in the story of the gospel, may we may we see where we are in it. The yes, our bodies are broken. Yes, we are wrapped with sin. Yes, our earth is broken. But we've been redeemed. that Jesus came, that He died in our place, and that we are now declared righteous. We unrighteous humanity can relate with righteous God because of what Jesus did for us. We have been redeemed. we have been bought with a price. But we wait. For the ultimate restoration, new heavens, new earth, new bodies to be with you forever. And so while we wait, may we have a gospel perspective informed by the fact that Jesus came and he died on the cross for us, but that he fulfilled his promise, even in the agony, even in the groaning, even in the waiting to, to be resurrected for us and that we will follow in that same resurrection. Pray that as we take communion today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, that we might have that perspective. We groan because it's not right, but we groan with hope because Jesus came. He lived, he died, and he rose from the dead, and he will come again.